This is episode 108 with running and strength coach, duathlon world championship qualifier, Ironman triathlete, and winner of the Spartan World Championships Masters Division, Mr. Matt Pendela. Welcome back to the Strength Running Podcast. I'm Jason Fitzgerald, the head coach of Strength Running, and it's my job to bring you world-class experts from the world of running, physical therapy, nutrition, and sports psychology to help you become a better runner. Our guest today is a real polymath. Matt Pendela is exactly the type of person I love bringing on the podcast because of his diverse background in not just coaching, but his education and his athletic career. He won the Elite Spartan World Championships Masters Division in 2015. He's an age group runner-up at Duathlon Nationals in 2015. He also qualified for the Duathlon World Championships three times and was fourth overall at the North Face Trail Championships and third in his division in 2014. He's also a certified running coach, massage therapist, and has a host of continuing education certifications in strength training, performance, and even Jack Daniels coaching program. In this interview, we're discussing our mindset, our psychology, the mental factors that contribute to our success in running. Because after you get your training right, the next big avenue for improvement is mastering your mindset and improving your confidence, your drive to train, your willingness to suffer, and finding that intrinsic motivation to always run consistently. By the way, these are topics that I haven't yet fully explored on strength running. We have programs for injury prevention, strength training, dialing in your nutrition and fueling, coaching, and programs for beginner runners but not for fine-tuning our mental fitness. So if you do have any questions or suggestions or ideas that you'd love for me to cover, go ahead and find me on Instagram at jasonfits one and send me a message. My direct messages are always open, and I really do want to hear from you. Finally, please stay tuned after my conversation with Matt for a special announcement. Without further delay, please enjoy my conversation with Matt Pendela. Matt, you're a runner, you're an Ironman triathlete, an obstacle course competitor, a duathlon world championship qualifier, and a hell of a trail runner. You, I think, embody the concept that being a better athlete makes you a better runner. So I'm really glad you're here. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much, Jason. I appreciate that intro. I don't know if I deserve such high praise, but I'll take it. (laughs) Well, you're also a coach, and uh, I want to talk more about some of your experiences with these many endurance sports that you've been involved with has impacted your coaching philosophy and how you work with your athletes. And specifically, uh, I want to talk a lot about our mindset and how concepts from sports psychology can help runners through a lot of the anxiety or motivation issues that seem to come up so much in our training. But maybe it'd be helpful if we rewinded a little bit, though. Uh, Were you always such a formidable athlete as you are today? Tell us a little bit more about how you developed into such a well-rounded competitive endurance athlete. Yeah, that'd be great to start with. When I was younger, I tried a lot of different sports. I wasn't especially good at many different sports. Uh, my, My friends, my peers... They were always a bit better than me. They were a little bit more coordinated, if you will. I kind of called myself a motor moron. You know, I I was always doing my best, but really I was a little bit more self-conscious about 
playing sports, especially ball and fields, ball and field sports were a little bit more difficult for me to get comfortable with. And I think I just kind of naturally started to get a little bit more in tune with endurance sports. It's, it's what made me happy. And I found that I was, um, you know, pretty good at it. So I started to focus on that pretty young when I was even in junior high school, you could pretty much call me just uh, solely a runner at that, at that point. Well, I think the the exposure to a lot of different sports certainly gives you um, better athletic or movement fluency. I think that exposure really helps you. It's almost like being bilingual or multilingual. Instead, but instead of language, we're talking about athletics. We're talking about different ways of moving your body and uh, being athletic. And so I think that uh, gives you a really good foundation to then specialize in running later. And I think, you know, I'm firmly in the camp that I think the more racing that you do, and especially in a variety of events, which you certainly have experience with, the better prepared you are both physically and mentally for, for racing. And the mental preparation topic, I think, is so fascinating because, uh, number one, I think it has serious potential to improve your running. And number two, it's not well understood or, or practiced effectively. And then finally you know, every coach approaches it differently. And so um, despite some someone recently telling me that I say dive in too often, let's dive in to these topics. Let's start with actually wanting to train. I think that's a huge barrier to a lot of runners. How do you get athletes to enjoy the process of training? Because the process can be a grind sometimes. Absolutely. Yeah, I like to ask them why. And there's... Um... It's called the 567 Academy uh, that I went to and helped me with my coaching a lot. I ask my athletes five, six, seven times just the question, why? And so at first I say, why are you running or, or why do you want to compete? And they might say something like, I want to be a state champion. And I say, okay, why? And I say, well, because I want to run for a division one college. And I say, okay, why? You know, and, and eventually you get more intrinsic and, and you start to realize that it's not so much about the the outcome. It's more about the process. And I think once they start to latch on to I need to focus on the process of getting one percent better today and every day because I want to be a better version of me, because that'll give me a life of legacy that I can ultimately be proud of that's the kind of why that we want to hear. And I believe that's what gets my runners up early in the morning, doing their protocol and really focusing on how they can get that 1% better each and every day without uh, so much external rewards in their mind, like, you know, getting a medal. Yeah. I find this to be one of the most challenging aspects of running is finding and then capitalizing upon that intrinsic motivation. And when I look back on my own running, I started running as a high school freshman, cross country, indoor, outdoor track. Um, you know, after I got over that first little bump in the road of just establishing some level of fitness, being able to go run three miles without feeling like I got hit by a truck, which was like my first run. Um, I really started loving 
running fast and I started seeing improvement. And as soon as I started writing that down and looking at it and and plotting out how I would get even faster, I got really obsessed with the performance side of running. And I think my intrinsic motivation was, I want to see how fast I can get. And so for me, that really drove me forward. And it didn't matter if I was training for, you know, 8K cross country in college or the steeplechase or a triathlon later after college. You know, I just wanted to train as best as I could to find out what my potential might have been. Um, and, and do you find that it's, it's as simple as just asking the athlete, you know, why do you want to do this a couple times in a row to really, you know, peel back that onion and find out what their, uh, deep internal motivation for running really is? Yeah, I think it's a good start. And, and from there, that process it definitely involves things like logging, for example, I, I, I believe in journaling and I really think that that has to be an important part of each athlete's process. Now, these days, some of my athletes do prefer just um, maybe using their phones a little bit more. So they might use voice memos as part of their logging process. It might not be on pen to paper, although that is honestly what I still prefer. But I do think that when they're doing a daily log, they start to discover more and more about themselves. So you use the good term there, just peeling back the layers. I think that's so important, but it does take time and it is a daily process to success. And as we know, just creating good habits, it takes months. And, and sometimes you're looking at a process that can take years to get to a, a bigger goal. And those micro goals, I think, are so important and oftentimes overlooked by athletes when they're not logging. So um, we do in my Pandola project what I kind of refer to as education stations. So every day we talk for 15 minutes, not anything that's too long or drawn out, but we just review where we're at. We maybe go over highlights, things that nuggets that we can take that we've learned from the day. Uh, even mistakes that we've made or or failures that we've had, we, we like to think about maybe failing forward. So I wasn't able to accomplish this today. I didn't run the pace I wanted to run or uh, this this long run was a little bit harder for me than I thought it would be. But this is what I learned from it. So, the, you know, it's a constant process to me. And my athletes that log, they do tend to be the ones that have the long term success we're looking for. You know, I've I've always been a big proponent of keeping a training log. Do you think keeping a more automated log, like say having a Strava account, does that count? Does that still give you the same benefits as as a paper and pencil log where you have to actually get in there and write everything down? Yeah, so I'm I'm old school really. I'm I'm 46, you know. So for me, Jason, what I've kind of gone to more is I do a numbers account with my athletes so that I give them structure in their logging process. I give them maybe some powerful words to think about or some even some structure, some questions around their weeks and their training cycles. But from there, they're able to put their own words down. And that tends to work a little bit better to me because they know that it's connecting really with with me as the coach. I see it in real time, but I'm the only one to see it. And I think that sometimes when it comes to 
some of these other apps. Um, they're great, but also it's kind of like social media these days where you're taking constant Instagrams of yourself or photos on Facebook and you're making life seem so so great and grand all the time but never wanting to put the uh, the struggles in there and the failures. And, and uh, so I, I like that system a little bit better for me with the numbers logging with my athletes so they can be vulnerable with me and they can put down what they're really feeling, but they don't have to worry about who else sees it. Yeah, I think that's a really good point because I think you're more honest with yourself when you're writing things down and it's in more of a private place, whereas opposed to, you know, Strava or, or, or some other public forum where you're logging your training, you're not necessarily logging every single embarrassing moment or, you know, thing that happens to you on a run, why you might not be feeling well. And, you know, in my experience with, you know, I'm kind of looking over to my side right now and I have just a whole stack of training logs that span over a decade. You know, I kept about one per year uh, when I was training in high school and college and then beyond. And looking back on these, it, first of all, I remember while I was logging all of my training that it felt like I was in the middle of a project and it was a project that I really cared about and every day. I was adding a new piece to that project. It was like I was building something important. And every day I would add another brick to that building. And um, so for me, it was really important to be able to, to flip through the pages, to actually see the workouts, to hold that log in my hands. And the other thing about keeping you know, a physical log is that you know, I kept it on the coffee table in my house at the time. And so every day I would see it. I would look at it. I would review the last couple days of training and I would think, okay, what am I doing today? What am I doing tomorrow? And I feel like the current system that a lot of runners use is, you know, their either their watch or their phone is connected to a platform like Strava. And I don't mean to pick on Strava. I'm on it and love it. <laughs> but, you know, the the physical log is is right in front of you. And if you're not on your phone all the time, or if you're not actually logging into the app, it's out of sight and it's out of mind and you're not thinking about it. And so for me, I loved seeing the log, being able to put in a great entry for the day. Um, and, and that was really important. And I, and I think that helped keep my motivation up. It helped m keep the momentum going. And the other thing that I really liked about keeping a log is that, you know, in hindsight, you can go back and you can look through it a lot more easily. And one of the things that I've noticed is that, man, I didn't feel good a lot of the time. <laughs> and I think it just goes to show that uh, you don't have to feel good most of the time. And I think you can really be honest with yourself and, and talk about, well, I didn't get much sleep last night. Or, you know, since a lot of my logs are from my early 20s, you know, I'm talking about how I went out and had a, a few too many, you know, beers that night. And, you know, my training suffered because of it. And I was really honest. And, and that, in turn, really helped my running because I could see patterns over time and and I could actually just physically look through the training logs. And I think there's no substitution for that. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. We have a lot of similar thinking as, as coaches. I kind of refer to it as pieces in the puzzle and you're eventually putting all those pieces together to make the picture of the puzzle that you want. But I think that when it comes to reviewing you mentioned something really strong there. Athletes can review their process from one year to the next when they when they log. 
And that is something I do like about the numbers account because you can look at something very quickly and easier from one year to the next without having to look through 10 notebooks like you and I do. But um, give an example of that. One of my athletes, she came back from running track. She's a collegiate track runner. And first of all, she had some niggles, I call them. I think you do too, right? Niggles, uh, niggles. a little bit of That's pain. Right. <laughs> a little bit of pain in her knee, but nothing that we felt like was too serious. And uh, I work, I do have a, a strength and conditioning facility. So we uh, we worked on that. I'm, I'm an LMT as well. So we did some tissue work on her and we got her on a good uh, progressive strategy, both for strength and conditioning. But there was a lot more biking in the beginning and, and a lot more what I call nice work, with, which is that acronym for non-impact cardio exercise. So I just like my athletes to think, oh, I'm doing, I'm doing it nice today. You know, I'm, I'm being nice to my body, for example. So she was, um, she was doing a lot more nice work, very little running. We did what we could, and we built her back up. And no more knee pain, which was fantastic. And we're getting out there. We're starting to run a little bit more. But the very first day we went out there, said, okay, I want you to run this course. And it's a course that she had run with me in high school quite a bit. And so I knew that she would know what her pacing used to be like. And I knew we weren't going to hit that on that course that day. So no watch. I'll take the time for you. No GPS, none of that. Just run this course. And so she, she ran the course and um, she was stressing in her mind a little bit still about her, her pacing and, and whether or not she was able to really be in control. She didn't feel ready to roll, so to speak. She was trying her traditional affirmations, but she felt a little clunky and naturally so. And so what I talked to her about instead was, okay, let's bring it down, focusing on your breathing patterns. And so today I want you to just focus on a three, two breathing pattern, which is something that she knows how to do well. So she uh, explained that a little bit further to the audience here is if I have my athlete uh, breathing in three steps, then breathing out two steps, then that way the inspiration expiration exchanges hips each time. So that's um, just something that I do partially for the physical, but also for the mental because it allows her to bring it back to a more organic kind of state in her pacing and, and focusing on that breathing helps almost a little bit more like meditation type of running. And so she uh, she did that. And I had the times I could compare. But I saw over the next uh, four weeks when we compared again, and I did kind of a Phil Mapatone type of approach there where we used about four mile course to look at what her time was in comparison to the previous microcycle. And she had improved her time by about 36 seconds. And I think that a lot of that came down to the fact that we kept it more within herself. Um, we took the self-consciousness out of it and we allowed her to kind of focus on being in a flow there a little bit more. So then I told her her time when I knew she was kind of back to where she was in her old stride, so to speak. And she 
uh, compared it to a year ago, and she felt really, really great about where she was at now in this point of the year, getting ready for her cross-country season, so confidence up. And we did that without a watch. You know, we did that with just the basics. Um, and I believe that sometimes we just get too far down the rabbit hole with technology um, and in comparing times, even times against ourselves, not realizing that, hey, this is a different year. This is a different process and where I can't focus as much, say, on total volume right now. I can focus, for example, on developing my uh, my strength in, in, in the gym, right? Getting my mechanical strength up. So developing that efficiency that way, which is going to in turn help me to push the ground away more effectively, for example. So uh, I believe for her, her deadlift, um, that went up substantially uh, versus her body weight. Her relative strength had gone up substantially in that time. And we had a little bit more time to focus on those things since we weren't out there uh, trying to get as much mileage. And now I think the goal is to get that mileage back up, but just, you know, 10% at a time. So, you know, going full circle on this part of the conversation, I just think it's important sometimes to review you, to really check in with where you're at. And then, you know, what, what do you really need today to get better for tomorrow, but not necessarily always comparing yourself to uh, the past. Yeah, and a log can really give you the hindsight necessary to look back on your training and and really evaluate it with with a clearer eye. Because when you're in the middle of a training cycle or or even, you know, right after a workout or a long run, you have your blinders on and you're just seeing or experiencing what you felt on that given day. And, you know, to share a quick story from my own running, uh, I ran my personal best in the marathon in 2011 at the Philadelphia Marathon. And Going, going into it, I, you know, kind of felt like I wanted to redeem myself. My first marathon was in 2008. Uh, I got injured trying to come back from that marathon. And I had that classic, you know, you hit the wall at mile 20. It was so cliche. Uh, I went in very confident and was very humbled by the experience. So I wanted the Philadelphia Marathon to be my redemption. I wanted to break 240. I wanted to, you know, just feel a lot better than I did the first time around. But my training, I had felt like wasn't going very well. I just didn't feel very good on a lot of my runs. I was dealing with uh, hot conditions in Washington, D.C., which is very humid and hot. And, you know, even uh, in September and October, when most of the hard training was. Um, and so I wasn't very confident up until the last couple of weeks before the race. But I started reviewing my training over the last three months or so. And I realized that I'd been doing great workouts. My volume was high. My workouts were stellar. Um, and despite just dealing with the heat and humidity and not feeling very well, on paper, I was executing and I was actually running very well. And so that actually gave me the confidence in my abilities going forward into the marathon because I looked back on it and I said to myself, who cares how I felt? I still did what I needed to do. And even if I don't feel good in this marathon, I still want to accomplish my goals in the marathon. And and I did. And that gave me a lot of confidence. Um, let, let's move into talking about confidence because I think that's such a 
big part of being a successful runner and getting the most out of your training. Uh, but it's probably one of the more difficult things to instill in one of your athletes is this idea of believing in yourself, believing in the process, and believing in what you can do on race day. So how do you think about this? How do you get your athletes to be more confident in their abilities? Yeah, I, I have a, a short story about that. And uh, speaking of stories, I do want to say, highlight you for a second. I, I was listening to you a couple months ago, and that's when I contacted you. But you have a lot of great stories that you give, like the one you just told. And it's so relatable to all of us. And I think you're a really good storyteller, Jason. I, I thoroughly enjoy listening to your podcast for that reason. And uh, yeah, just keep doing it because I learn so much every time I listen to a, a, one of your podcasts. Matt, uh, you're not getting paid for this. You understand that, right? <laughs> <laughs> you Thank are, you so you, much. You I, really I really are appreciate a, that. A great coach. Uh, Jason, you're very empathetic and you're vulnerable. And and when you talk, you don't you don't try to be this uh, you know this grandiose or, or perfect guy. You're very vulnerable in your explanations about yourself and your stories. And I just mentioned that because I believe that's what makes a successful coach when you're willing to be vulnerable with your athletes, with the people who are following you, and that's what makes you a leader, Jason. But uh, I'll I'll. Uh, I'll expect the check in the mail on that one, but uh, I'll get to my story here with Gabby. Um, so I have an athlete. Her name is Gabby Williams. Now she is a professional basketball player at this point. I'm I'm uh, still uh, working with her, and uh, I absolutely love the process with her. But going way back to high school when she was just. Um, a junior, uh, she was. She went to the Olympic trials, um, and she actually set the world junior record for the high jump. Uh, she went six foot two and a quarter inches um, at 15 years old. Wow! So, pretty amazing athlete, when you say, Jason. Oh yeah, that's. Uh, I mean, I jumped four eleven and a half in eighth grade, which was kind of my jumping off point. Pardon the pun. Oh God, um, <laughs> my jumping off point to getting involved in running because I thought cross country was going to be like track and I could high jump. So I actually love the high jump. It is an an awesome uh, uh, event. It's so fun to participate in, even though I did so at a very low level as as a middle schooler. Yeah, and you always say run like an athlete, right? That I love that book, by the way. Um, but you always talk about that. I love, I love that we think of ourselves as athletes who run. And I mentioned Gabby in particular because when she was, um, oh, I, I think it was when she was playing for UConn, and uh, she was saying to me then, "Hey, Matt, you're always talking to me about how I'm like a two x athlete, like an explosive athlete, right? So, um, but how come when I was younger, and she wasn't trying to brag, Jason? It's just, it's just she was generally asking. But she's, how come when I was younger, when I entered uh, distance races or when I did decathlons, uh, I would, I would win, and I, I don't really know if I'm such an explosive athlete." Why was I able to do that? And it's the answer to me was, well, you have grace, gratitude and guts. And uh, that is stealing a phrase from Bobby McGee. Um, I didn't say I steal it. I work with Bobby. He's the Olympic coach, uh, head Olympic triathlon coach. Um, and he's one of those guys who's been a heavy influence on me if, if I 
could say magical running. Uh, that book is just wonderful for any endurance runner to uh, to read. If you ever want to pick up a good book on improving your mindset and really bringing the love and joy back into your running and getting some PRs along the way. Um, but you know, really, I like to I like to focus on how somebody like Gabby was able to have that kind of grace, gratitude and guts at such a young age, because I would sort of pat myself on the back, Jason, sometimes as a coach, especially when I was a younger coach and thinking, oh, wow, this this training plan that I wrote up, man, it really worked. I mean, look at what this athlete just did. And athletes like uh, Gabby were to me were proof positive of that. But then I started realizing as I was working with other athletes that really had the same kind of training numbers, uh, the same kind of stats, and they technically should have been able to do these type of things. Uh, they, they sometimes would uh, quote unquote choke when the big day came. So what made the difference there in um, the first day that Gabby walked into my gym, very first day, we have pyramid of success, a huge pyramid that overlooks the entire gym. And it's from uh, coach John Wooden. And he was one of the greatest coaches of all time, I believe. But I've tried to learn as much as I can from that pyramid of success. And the first day Gabby walked into the gym, she looked at that pyramid and she just smiled. And I said, uh, Oh, you've seen this before. And she said, it's it's up in my bedroom. I've been uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> no, that's just perfect. Right. Yeah. And and so the cornerstones of that pyramid are industriousness and enthusiasm at the very top of the pyramid is is athletic greatness and success. And so really, that's something that Gabby had been working on since she was little. And I realized that it was the multiple sports, like you've already mentioned, so important. Even myself, uh, when I wasn't as great at these sports, still important that I did them and I tried them and I was a part of a team and I pushed myself and challenged myself and developed that, you know, neuromuscular coordination, those types of things, like you mentioned, really good points there. Um, but really, I think with Gabby, she taught me a lot because I realized that I had to start focusing more on helping my athletes understand how to discover this within themselves. And for each athlete, it really can be its own process. And that's where I think that uh, things like performance partners really uh, do well for us. So when we are in the gym, we always go into what we quote as performance partners, which might be a group of two or three kids that sit together and they talk about some of their performance enhancement uh, tips or goals that they have for themselves and even for each other. So I don't take as much credit there for my athlete's success as I used to. Now, if anything, I think it's the other athletes that have created the kind of culture where they trust each other, they're loyal to each other, they're truly happy for each other when another athlete has success, maybe even more success than they did in that particular day or even season. But just knowing that they're part of something uh, that is improving themselves by that 1% better every day, it, it's only enhanced because of their performance partners in the gym. And I'll um, finish with this, but I had an athlete that was really struggling. She was um, 
had early success. And I don't know how often you found this, but with our athletes tend to have that very early success, then it can be really difficult for them once the other athletes start to sort of catch up, especially fitness wise. And a lot of it with high school kids in particular has to do with growth and and, uh, hormones and, and, and just how their body's responding at different times at different ages. So this particular athlete, very, very quick, very, very uh, competitive, very early on, and then struggled as her body was changing and she was not having the same kind of success for a good couple of years where she was fairly stagnant. Although when you really look at it, she was making progress in a lot of ways that she just had to realize But what was really great about this particular situation is I had another few girls. They actually happened to go first, second and third in the state in the two mile the year before. And they all graduated, went on to college. And these girls, they were texting this particular athlete on a daily basis and then even calling each other. And they were helping her with her process and saying, hey, I was there, too. This is how I got through it. This is how I thought about it. And yeah, I I struggled with this and I lost my why for a while. And this is the best way to get back to the joy and the love of what you're doing. This is what works for me. And that is going to help you if you try it and see if it, it works for you too. And she ended up finding her process and finding her way back to success again. So, you know, I think a lot of it has to do with having that kind of culture Uh, around you and other examples of people who have been there, done that and come out the other side. And and I I think that that a lot of times is something that as individual athletes, endurance runners in particular, sometimes we can be pretty secluded and and we can just kind of have just our own sort of schedule and mindset and not really be a part of a culture like that. So I really encourage people to, to, to find like-minded people. It doesn't even have to be in the same sport, but find like-minded people to help you through your process. Matt, I'm getting the feeling that I could probably talk to you for a six hour episode. Um, cause there's so many interesting, uh, things that we could pull on from that, just, uh, that, that answer right there. Um, you know, I had Dina Castor on the podcast in episode 92 and, uh, after reading her book, it was clear that, you know, she experienced the same thing where she had this early success in her career. And then, you know, after high school, she got to college and she realized, oh, I might have been a, a big fish in a small pond. And and now all of a sudden I'm in a big pond and there are even bigger fish. And, you know, it was very challenging for her to to not easily win races race after race after race anymore. And so, yeah, I can certainly see how that's uh, just a, a very challenging thing for an athlete to, uh, to to go through. And, you know, it's honestly something not, I can't really relate to that. I was always the underdog. I was always competitive, but, you know, not really in the top three or five runners. And so I was always working so hard to try to get there. And so I kind of always had that fire lit underneath me. Um, But one of the things that you talked about that I want to dive into a little bit more is, you know, this concept of of having support, having a network of people, having friends that um, push you along and guide you to be better versions of yourself and to stay, you know, motivated. and, you know, how do we do that for the average adult runner? You know, how do runners find support when so many of us train alone? We don't belong to a club or, you know, we don't have time for it. Um, or maybe our family 
doesn't really understand our running. You know, there's, I, I talk to runners all the time who, you know, the people in their town look at them like they're crazy when they're out there running. Cause their town only has two runners and their entire family doesn't really get it. How do we build that for these kinds of runners? Yeah, I'm smiling because I married a professional dancer and she does not get it at all. You know, <laughs> and uh, she she uh, she'll go out and do a little bit of running because uh, she actually decided to uh, get her black belt this past year. Um, and uh, she did get her black belt, but she had a run test to do. So she actually had to follow some of my advice for once. And uh, she got out there doing some running. But uh, every day she come back and you know, I don't get what you, what you like about this so much. You know? <laughs> now, are you are you telling me that you married a professional dancer who now has a black belt? That your your wife might be more formidable than you are. Oh, she she definitely is. I'm I'm a decent boxer. Uh, that's something that I always wanted to to learn, and and I hired a coach and and got I'm I'm decent. I'm decent, but she could knock me out before I even put my hands up. You know, she's so fast and uh she's the real thing. Um so yeah, no, I'm proud of her and uh my my daughter Mia, she actually is in martial arts as well with her and that's something they really bond on. But um, my daughter seems to be a good blend between the two of us. She loves to run, too, which I love. So, you know, she's seven now when she gets a little bit older. Uh, maybe we'll do a little bit of running together right now. You know, it's all fun. And I just tell her run in the park when you want to don't when you don't want to. But uh, getting back to your question, like with when it comes to finding that um, that culture, th there are a couple things that you can do. I, I happen to be. Uh, Matt Balzer, uh, I'm his running coach. So he's a four-time national Xterra champion, but he owns Reno Running Company here. Um, and he has four runs a week that you can go to. As, and, and it's just, you know, running of all different levels. And um, there's a lot of different um, trail runs and road runs and track running and, and things like that. So he keeps it fun and interesting and different. And so something like that, it's always fun. You don't have to commit to any races. You can just show up for practice and he'll put you in the proper group for you. So that's always something nice just to kind of see, well, maybe at least once a week, you know, in my schedule, I can't do more than that, but once a week I show up to his runs. And so that makes it fun. And it's not something that, um, you know, I have to do every day, but even just once a week makes me feel more connected to the rest of the running community, which is, which is great. And I would say, Jason, of course, we've got to plug you a little bit, right? You should think about joining a group like yours. And that definitely is very motivating because now you can just get online and have some group chats with other runners. Even if they don't live around you, you can have some motivation from somebody who lives clear across the country or, or the globe even. And so I think that goes a long ways as well. And then finally, I would say that even though you might not have somebody running at your pace, finding a partner to just meet with, just get out the door and meet with, that goes a long ways as well. Um, I had fallen through my roof last year in my gym, moving some stuff over my office, which was not the brightest idea. Uh, fell through the roof, tore my meniscus, and so I had to take some time off of running. What I, what I found once I was ready to run again, it was very difficult for me to get back into the habit. So for the first time in a long time, I realized that 
I had the same problem that a lot of other people were having is just getting motivated to get out the door again. And so first thing I did was had a couple of my friends um, that I said, hey, um, we'll meet at 530 in the morning. I'll be there. And I couldn't do what they were doing at first, but I was there at 530. We warmed up together. We ran easy together. They did what they were doing. I did what I was doing. Afterwards, we grabbed the coffee and talked about the run and, and life. And now uh, we still keep having that same run and, and coffee afterwards. I look forward to it every week. So just a few things there that you can try to do. And, th and those go a long way. I think meeting someone for a run once a week goes a long way in keeping you consistent because you know that, you know, you're going to be meeting your friend or, or whoever it is for this run. And, you know, you want to be in good shape for that. You know, you don't want to get out there and be like, oh, I can't even finish this mile. So it does keep you a little bit more consistent throughout the week. And um, I, I do think there are a lot of opportunities online for those runners who can't find that kind of support or network in person. So if there's no big club where you're at or, you know, there's not a supportive running community that has a good culture in your hometown, there's definitely online groups that can make sure, you know, any questions that you have about running get answered. They'll just let you tell your running stories and you can share those and you can get feedback and, you know, you can talk about how uh, you didn't quite make it to the bathroom on your morning run today. It's happened to a lot of us and, you know, runners aren't going to make fun of you too much because <laughs> it's, it's happened to most of us uh, so i think there's real value in that and and it's it's just being a participant in the culture no matter how you're participating absolutely yeah no and i'm i'm laughing again just a couple weeks ago we were i had a group that was trained for the san francisco half marathon and we uh we were meeting for that and um i i don't have pizza often in fact i i uh, don't have gluten much at all. I can I can tolerate it, but it doesn't sit super well with me. But I had some gluten-free pizza. My daddy-daughter date night, we went out and that's what she wanted to have. And I wasn't used to all of the grease. And the next morning is uh, sort of this tough quality run that we had planned out our last real quality run before the half. And so about uh, second set of, of, of two mile uh, at threshold, I realized uh, it was coming quickly and, and I, uh, I had to jet for the bushes. There's no bathrooms around. And let's just say I, I uh, lost a pair of really good, expensive um, underwear along the way there. But I finished <laughs> I finished the workout, Jason. I finished it. And my that's that runner's are... mentality. You finished. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's right. So, uh, of course, you know, I probably can't live that one down because they were all standing there laughing as I'm in the bushes and uh, just hoping that nobody's uh, getting a picture of it. So, yeah, it was fun. Now, I don't want you to be alone in sharing an embarrassing story. I'm not sure if I've ever shared this one, but when I was, I think this was 2006, 2007, right after college, I was uh, commuting into Boston for my job. And so for me to be able to get in my run, I had to wake up at five in the morning. And as a 22, 23 year old, this was a real big shock to my system. And so I actually planned most of my runs around the construction sites in my town, which had porta potties, because for some reason, I could not finish a run without desperately needing the bathroom. 
And people people are unsubscribing from this podcast right now as quickly as you can hit that button. But you know that's just that's just part of the running culture. And um, there there's maybe a good tip for the day. Construction sites often have porta potties. Yes. <laughs> All right. So let let's move on. <laughs> yeah. And um, you know something you said something really interesting when we were preparing for this conversation. We were emailing each other back and forth. And you said something that I've never heard before in my 20 plus years of being involved in the sport. And it was this concept of mental progressions. And I think most of us might know what a progression is. It's just simply, you know, how something builds or changes over time. So, you know, your long run progressing from 12 to 20 miles during marathon training, for example. But what is a mental progression and and how are you applying it with your athletes? Yeah, no, thank you. I, I'm honored that this is uh, something that uh, you, you brought up and that uh, you, you feel like is important because I'm very passionate about this particular subject. So this kind of relates a little bit back to what I was talking about before with my athlete Gabby versus other athletes that had gone through the same training progression. So uh, for listeners, if you will, at the base of any progression, when it comes to a strength pyramid, you're going to look at stability, mobility, proprioception, and those things have to be first and foremost in your training. And then from there, you can start to really develop more strength and then, of course, power. And, and so all those things are relative to your sport, of course. And so we like to say it's not how much you lift, but it's how you lift it. Well, why don't we put that much attention into our mental or our mindset progressions? I think we miss that a lot of times, even though most, uh, if not all, great athletes are going to attribute their mindset to their success more than their physical preparedness. Um, physical preparedness is extremely important, but I think we all agree at a certain level of your training, no matter what level you are running at, it's going to now be mindset that gets you further. And so what I like to do is bring it back to, for example, proprioception, you know, your, your, your body's awareness in, in space and, and your ability to be able to use that mental flexibility now, if you will. And, and that's what I kind of relate to proprioception. The, the, the equal parts of that mentally would be mental flexibility, your body's uh, abilities and your, your mindset or your mental physical abilities, if you will, now are starting to tie in together because you have developed that mental flexibility. Now, as you keep going in that progress and you have a stable body, you have a stable mind and you're able to manage different situations and setbacks better because you've prepared yourself just like physical training, you're preparing yourself. And we like to say that it's not practice makes perfect, right, Jason? I mean, I grew up being told as an athlete that practice makes perfect. And now I've kind of learned that it's purposeful practice makes progress, right? And I'm never going to be perfect, but I can make progress with purposeful practice. So if I'm neglecting the ability or the opportunity to develop my mindset 
with my physical preparedness, I think I'm missing out. Um, so I like to just relate that in terms of this summer, for example, Jason, I started off with a progression plan for my various athletes at different levels. Some athletes are going to start off with more calisthenics, some are more advanced and are going to do more mechanical loading. But the idea is we're all getting stronger. At the same time, in the same week of our first training progression for the summer, we now have mindset exercises that we're doing, going through pre-visualization stories. How do we see ourselves? Where do we want to see ourselves? And that progress, I think, should be equal as you go through your phases so that you feel like you're sharpening your mind and body at the same time and you're equally ready for your main event. Uh, does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. And and I think uh, one of the things that I found to be really helpful about, you know, some of the mental fitness tools, I'll call them, you know, things like affirmations, visualization, things like that, is that, you know, they they can progress over time and get more specific to the demands of what you're training for. So for example, you know, you don't want to visualize, you know, every moment of a race, maybe with your first race of the season, it, it might just be overkill. And it, it might actually give you more anxiety than anything. But once you're getting into the championship season, or your tune up race, I'm sorry, your primary goal race is approaching, then it's the time to really go all out and to build upon what you've done earlier in the in the training cycle or the season. And so, um, you know, with some of the athletes that I work with, we are always talking about a lot of the um, the the mental aspects of training, and also how they relate to the physical aspects of training. So, for example, you know, we talk about confidence, and I'm always bringing up past workouts. Well, you did this workout, you did this long run, you've run this many miles per week. And I'm always trying to tie their confidence into what they've already done because, you know, uh, past performance is a pretty good indicator of future performance when it comes to running. And if they're performing well and, you know, much like my story about my marathon training, thinking that I wasn't doing well when on paper it went great. And so when I look at my athletes training, if it's going well, but they might not be feeling too good about it, I'm always reminding them to take confidence and to take strength out of their accomplishments, even if they're just training accomplishments and not, you know, personal bests or, or, or podium finishes or anything like that. Yeah, no, Jason, absolutely. hundred percent agree. When we talk about grace, gratitude, and guts, to me, the word grace is, is kind of having that state of flow that we hear so much about, you know, where you have that immersion, you know, in your, in your activity and you're, and, and you're not trying to be perfect, but you're just focusing on the process. And you mentioned something really, really important to me is that if you're worried about how you're going to run this perfect race and, and, and it's two months before your championship season, I think you're going to overthink it. I think you're going to burn yourself out. And I, I try to get my athletes so that they're focused on the process. So again, it comes back to purposeful practices and, and that, that purposeful process, but just recognizing where you're getting better, where your success is coming from, even where you're failing and how you can fail forward and, and use the right mindset about, 
uh, that positive attitude about, well, I learned something today. I didn't, I didn't accomplish what I wanted to. I failed forward by learning something from this. And again, going back to logging and, and talking with your performance partners, that's a part of it. But by the time you get to that big race, you're in the flow. I don't want my athletes overthinking it. I don't want them to expect to run a perfect race. And I don't know, Jason, something, you know, reverse this on you a little bit, but I can only recall maybe one or two races that I ever feel like it was perfect to me in my entire career. So the rest of the time, I think you just have to be ready to sort of uh, expect to have to work really, really hard for that A goal. And it's not going to come easy. And you have to prepare yourself mentally to make sure that you are ready for that. And understanding that as long as you meet that expectation about yourself, that that's a success. Yeah, I will definitely agree with you there because I can look back on my career and as you can imagine, you know, when you run cross country and two seasons of track for eight years, you run a lot of races and, you know, I might, I might've been running, you know, 30 races a year and I, I don't remember too many perfect races. I, I remember a couple, I remember a handful of races where I felt great. I executed, I ran a PR, and I, I just did most things right, and I felt good about the race. Um, it, it's rare. It doesn't happen all the time, and if it does happen, you have to cherish it, and you have to remember it and, and really think about, what did I do, not just physically when it comes to the training, but what did I do mentally to get to this spot? Because a lot of that feeling is, is from your mindset because of your outlook on the race, your perspective on it. You know, if you're if you're having anxiety before the race and you're constantly doubting yourself and you're counting down, you know, every tenth of a mile until you're getting to the finish line, that to me is not a perfect race. I've had races where, you know, I I, I wasn't uh, just waiting for the finish line. I was actively engaged in the race and I enjoyed the race related fatigue and pain and all the suffering that comes with racing. I, I enjoyed it. I liked it. I wanted more of it. And that I think is when we get the most out of ourselves, when we can master our mindset and really apply it to our racing so that we can get so much more out of it. Yeah, no, it, it reminds me of, um, I know you interviewed Matt Fitzgerald, I believe a couple times on your podcast, and uh, he's got a book, it's uh, How Bad Do You Want It? And there's a chapter in that book about Jenny Simpson and how in college she was the most dominant collegiate runner uh, by 32 seconds, I believe, was the closest person to her at pre-nationals. And it was just a slam dunk. And Jenny actually ended up having physical responses to uh, to uh, that pressure, if you will, in, in that race. But where it really came down to is I think she didn't even place in the top 100 where she was supposed to win by 30 seconds or so. And it was because, um, or at least the recap I'm giving here was because she had kind of figured that the race was in the bag. She hadn't prepared herself um, mentally, emotionally to go through the same amount of uh, discomfort, uh, you know, being comfortable, being uncomfortable kind of thing. And when she was still having maybe three or four girls with her at the 2K mark, she started to feel woozy. She started to have physical symptoms. 
But uh, after she fell to her knees, got up and ran it in, she picked her pace back up and was at a competitive pace again to finish, at least for her team. Uh, that's proof that it wasn't so physical or she wouldn't have been able to do that. And then, of course, just less than two years later, she was the world champion in the 1500. That day, she said to herself, I'm just going to do the very best I can today. I'm going to be the best me I can be. I'm going to stay in that moment and I'm going to expect it to hurt. I'm going to grind and I'm going to just do everything I can. And that's what allowed her to get that win. So that's the process uh, first and then the outcome came, right? So I, I think that that's the uh, important takeaway when it comes to this, uh, people remembering that they really should stay within their process. And just, I like to keep saying 1% better every day because it's not so overwhelming. Uh, when you think about big goals that people make for themselves, a lot of times that goal is 10% away and it seems so overwhelming. But if you're just getting 1% better at a time, then in reality, it's not so hard to achieve anymore. I recently finished a book called Range by David Epstein. And one of the lessons I took from that was that uh, easy learning is not very effective. It has to be kind of hard and you really need to challenge yourself. So if you're confused when learning something, that's a good thing. And so this story about Jenny Simpson really makes me think that her easily winning race after race after race, just like Dina Castor in, in that story I shared earlier, this is an example of easy learning. It's, it's getting that win without having any kind of a mental struggle. And so when you are thrown into a, a bigger pond with bigger fish who might actually challenge you, you're not going to respond as effectively because you haven't been exercising that mental muscle and you're not as, as mentally fit as someone who has been struggling and really working to develop mental toughness and confidence and resilience when it comes to, you know, the, the pressures and difficulty of running a race. So I see a lot of parallels there. And, um, I, I think, you know, anyone who's struggling with running, I think they're in a good spot. You know, running should be a struggle to a certain extent. And, you know, that I think makes the learning process more effective and we get more out of the sport. We learn more about ourselves and what we're capable of. And we, we grow more as runners, I think. Absolutely. I think perceived effort is such a big part of it. And I will tell you quickly, one of the girls I mentioned earlier that was uh, part of that trio in the uh, first, second, third in the state. The girl who was third took a minute and uh, I think it was 17 seconds off of her two-mile time to be able to get that third place spot. So you had mentioned before about how you know, not everybody is is trying to be at that uh, top level or maybe they don't think they're going to get that top level. And it's not necessarily all about that either. But in her case, she went from being really barely a varsity runner to the third best runner in the state. She she uh, I will say she did read Magical Running. We went through the exercises at the end of each chapter in, in Bobby's book. You can hear I'm very loyal to Bobby, but I've learned so much from him on, on that front. And I will I will tell you that she told me flipping the switch for her was when she realized, well, wait a minute, this uh, this girl that I train with, uh, Alexis and, and this other girl, Hannah, 
they're they're really pushing themselves and they are very uncomfortable. And I have to be willing to do that, too. And I don't think I've been really willing to expose myself and just put myself out there and 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 try it. And even uh, what am I afraid of? I'm afraid that I'll try to do this and I won't be able to. Well, I have to confront that and maybe I can do it just a little bit better than before and build that mental toughness or callousing, if you will. So that uh, sounds like a bit of an overnight success story, but it took her a good year to accomplish that goal. But she went from not even qualifying for regionals to being third in the state by doing that over the course of that year. Do you think those leaps forward in mental fitness or or uh, psychological fitness, however you want to term, you know, uh, working on our own personal psychology. Do you think that progresses at similar rates as running? In other words, it's a long-term endeavor. You know, it's not going to happen in a week. It's going to take months and potentially years. Absolutely. I, you know, as a coach, I want my athletes to understand that I had some pretty fast times when I was in high school. Um, and so people just kind of assume that, um, you know, I didn't struggle and, and I, I did, I struggled a lot and I ended up going, uh, through a couple of different things in my life that, that taught me how to be a little bit more mentally tough. One of them was hot shotting. Um, and that's just, a a division of wildland fire. Um, it's, it's a little bit more, uh, physical. You have to have, uh, ex- the experience to, to be out there in the middle of nowhere. Um, and, and you have to be on shifts back then we did a shift that was 72 hours long and it's not even legal, but we did. Um, and it was routinely 24 hour, uh, shifts and even 36 hour shifts things like that. And when I went through those kind of shifts, I can tell you, Jason, that I learned a lot about myself. Uh, thinking that you can do something for 12 hours when you're digging line, for example, and I ended up being a sawyer where I would cut the heavies down that were on fire. Um, that was my main job. And thinking that you can do that for 12 hours is one thing. Uh, not knowing if you're going for 24 hours or 36 is another. And when I went through that, I ended up coming up with just a little bit of a self-affirmation that worked for me. And it was just easy, no problem. Because I had been now on shifts that had really pushed me to the brink and even beyond. And so now I just think to myself, okay, compared to what? Compared to what I've done in the past, this is easy. This is no problem. And that has helped me out so much. And I talk to my athletes about this all the time. And we joke around that, you know, they should join a hotshot crew over the summer and, and then become champions in cross country. But in reality, you don't have to have that kind of an experience. But I do think that you want to start to think about maybe sometimes when you are purposely pushing it that much harder, make it a safe way to do it. But I do believe in overreaching a bit at times just to gain that mental callousing and develop that. So you can say to yourself, compared to what, this is not so bad, easy, no problem. I think your uh, inner dialogue is really important to your confidence and how well you believe in yourself. 
Um, and, and you telling yourself, this is easy. This is no problem compared to what I've done in the past. This is easy. No problem. You know, I remember when I was running a lot, uh, getting ready for my, uh, marathon back in 2011 that I ran a personal best at, uh, my wife would always ask me, how did your long run go? Cause she knew how important the long run is. You know, I ran with her in college and you know, she, she understood that the long run for the marathon was really important. So every Saturday I'd finish my long run and she'd be like, how'd it go? And after a while, after I kept telling her it was easy, she was like, Jason, are, are these 20 mile runs really easy? And I was like, well, I mean, not really, but I'm just, I'm just telling you that they're easy because I want to believe that they're easy. And so for me, that was, you know, lying to myself a little bit was a way for me to normalize really long runs. And it was my own inner dialogue that I was just always going through, you know, these runs, you know, oh, it was easy, even if it was 85 degrees and very humid, and it wasn't as fast as I wanted it to be, you know, it was mental training, and it was easy. And I think that inner dialogue that I had that that almost that mantra that I had was really, really important. Absolutely. And I'll tell one other quick um, compared to what scenario, but I think it's so important. I I share this with my kids. Uh, Again, I just have uh, some some stories in my past that I think helps them. And then when they talk in performance partners, I want them to come up with their own stories or make their own. But I just like to sort of maybe provide the the ignition, you know, and then they have to have the fuel so that fire can keep going. Right. So motivating an athlete with these stories, it can be important, but that doesn't last unless they can put their own fuel into the fire. So what um, what I did when I was younger I got into AmeriCorps. It was National Civilian Community Corps uh, within the United States. It doesn't exactly translate, but it's sort of like the Peace Corps within the United States. And so we were in San Diego and we were assigned to work on La Casa de Asadillo, which is the first like really house in San Diego and they wanted to preserve it. So we had to learn how to make adobe and we had to learn to do it the right way. They weren't going to cheat with, um, you know, cement or or mortar, stuff like that. So we um, went to Mexico to learn how to make adobe the right way with silt and cow manure and and mud and and those kind of things. So learning that process in my mind was going to be from, you know, uh, maybe a, a man, a woman that had some uh, had some experience doing it. It ended up being a seven year old that taught me how to make adobe. And the reason why in Mexico, because that entire family worked together all day, every day to make clay, pottery, adobe, things like this. And that's how they made their living. This this uh, seven year old is probably still doing this to this day. And listen, I'm always so appreciative of the fact that we live in the country we live in. Um, I'm very, very much appreciative of those opportunities. But you don't really realize it until I think you're in those kind of situations where you see the opportunities that you clearly have over others and compared to what in my mind when my athletes are complaining or they're talking about schoolwork or they're you know i say to them look you get to go to school you get to race you get to go to practice you get to have all these opportunities some people don't and so compared to what i think is always important to ask yourself and that doesn't have to be just from running experience but just just life we're so lucky 
And also, I think the you get to reframe is really powerful because it kind of shifts the the whole perspective on something. So a lot of runners are like, oh, I got to go run 15 miles for my long run. Oh, I have to go do this workout. No, you get to go run 15 miles. You get to go express your fitness and your health. And you should be enjoying that because it is a gift and not everyone can do it. And when you can't do it, when you're injured, when you're out of shape, or when you're simply old and you can't run 15 miles anymore, you are going to look back on those runs and say to yourself, man, I got to do so much cool stuff when I was younger. I wish I cherished it a little bit more. Right. No, absolutely. And just, you know, Jason, hopefully I'm not overstaying my welcome here, but uh, I, I just, I love these kind of stories. And you made me think about this one athlete just now, his name is Jared Marshager. So uh, I'm lucky enough and privileged enough to be this kid's coach, um, but he has scoliosis and it was severe enough to where they were talking about tethering his spine. And uh, that process is just brutal uh, and, and certainly not one that you want to take uh, lightly. And, and they have to actually collapse a lung and, and do this major surgery on the kid. But in, instead, they decided to kind of try to take the corrective uh, route. And, um, you know, with my with, with my background, with, with strength and being an LMT, I, I thought I could help. I told his parents at the time, I don't know that I can uh, absolutely be, uh, you know, the only fix here, but I can try. And um, and if he needs surgery after a year of this, then at least we know we tried. And so uh, and, and I really, really can't say enough about uh, about this kid in particular, because if you tell the kid to do personal protocol that's specific to his scoliosis, he will do it every single day. He will log every single day. He is just really, really structured and um, great kid. And so anyway, after a year's time, not only does he not need the surgery, uh, but uh, he ended up being the Gatorade runner of the year uh, and knocking about a minute off his 5K time. Uh, he went into a two-mile race uh, for track where it was 15-mile-an-hour winds. And he uh, texted me. I couldn't be there for that race, but he texted me and he said, hey, coach, I'm kind of uh, freaking out. And we we uh, called. I talked to him on the phone and he got done. He reviewed all the logs that were important to him reaching that race day. And he decided that living in Reno, we deal with a lot of wind and we're up at elevation and he was at sea level. And so he said, well, one, I'm going to be at sea level. So that's a bonus. But two, I'm used to running in the wind. These guys aren't. They're in trouble. And he ended up running a huge, huge PR. Despite the wind, uh, he ran 9.22, which was flying, especially considering those circumstances. And then he got himself a full-ride scholarship. So, uh, you know, I, I, I say that in the sense that uh, compared to what, again, I think about kids like Jared who just did not have the excuses for himself, and he very well might have, and I have learned so much from him and I can't tell you as a coach how much that helps me with each and every athlete. I'm so grateful to athletes like that. That's what makes it great. 
Yeah, that's such an inspiring story. And, you know, if if someone like that can be that diligent with the training that they need to do to not only keep running, but to maintain their health and avoid a, a serious surgery, you know, we can certainly put in the a little bit of extra time and effort to stay healthy and to do all the little things that are so important in our training. Uh, Matt, this is this was so much fun for me. And and you are absolutely not overstaying your welcome it was it's fun doing a longer podcast when the conversation is this good and you know frankly i've i've haven't had any questions for you for the last 20 minutes we've kind of just been going back and forth with our respective stories and and thoughts on running and and i think that makes for a really interesting conversation so thank you so much for being here and uh i know folks are going to want to learn more about your work and and how you can actually help runners uh where where can they do that yeah, so I am actually starting my own podcast. We've actually put about six uh, in the logs, but we're going to launch it this Saturday. So by the time people are listening to this podcast, it'll be out there, but it's uh, just called Pendola Project Podcast, and you can get that wherever you get podcasts. So that's one way to start listening. Um, my very first interview is with Matt Balzer, who is that uh, four-time national Xterra champion I talked about. And he ta- takes you through his process to success. So one of my ideas here were just I've been so privileged to work with so many amazing people. And so I do want to mention that uh, it's guys like him, but we're also interviewing a lot of people who are just uh, definitely have more health and fitness uh, balance goals, not all about elite uh, athletics, but uh, a, definitely a blend of, of both and and different people in the community that I find to be very motivating for me. And I want to share that with the rest of the, the world. So that's that's coming out. And I would love for people to check it out and hopefully you like what you're listening to. You can subscribe. Um, you can reach me at www.pendolatraining.com. That's uh, my website for my facility, and you can email me directly there. And other than that, uh, Jason, I just would like to you know mention that uh, I'm in a course called PECI. So that is done by Dr. Joanne Delcotter. She is a um, a sports psychologist. She's worked with several Olympians. And so she is now my mentor and coach for uh, the sports psychology side of things. And that course has just helped me out uh, tremendously with my athletes as well. So you might want to check that out with, with her. I'm just, again, pretty loyal to the people who have helped me so unselfishly. So people like her and Bobby McGee, I'll always tell people to go to the, the true experts first and, uh, and learn from them. But, uh, but I, I do feel like I have something to, to say and to share with, with my athletes. So if you're interested in that, go to the Pandola Project and, and check that podcast out. Well, thanks so much, Matt. And I will link to all of the uh, the different things that we talked about here in the show on the blog. So if you're listening to this and want to uh, easily find all those links and, and more information about Matt, our guest today, it'll be on the Strength Running blog. Matt, thank you so much for being here. Jason, thank you. It was a real honor, a pleasure. This was on my bucket list. So thank you for having me. And there we have it. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. And if so, an honest review on Apple Music is incredibly appreciated. 
As always, you can find show notes, links to books, resources, training programs, videos, and more that we discussed on the show at strengthrunning.com. And please, I hope you check out our sponsor for today's show, SteadyMD. I couldn't do this podcast without the support of our sponsors, and SteadyMD is a very interesting company. It's led by Sub3 Marathoner, Dr. Josh Emder, and their goal is to give you a personal doctor online that's just for runners, to help you stay fit, healthy, injury-free, and competitive. And the best part, there's no copays, no waiting rooms, or surprise bills. Instead, you're going to get same-day responses from a doctor who's there for you 24-7. So you can get prescriptions filled or see a specialist a lot more easily since your doctor knows your needs. And if you haven't seen a doctor or maybe even a physical therapist who has no experience with runners, then you know just how valuable this is to hard-charging athletes. Having a doctor who gets you and your running goals and what training does to the human body is priceless. Go to SteadyMD.com strengthrunning to see if there are any spots left and how you can benefit from having a primary care physician who's also a runner. That's SteadyMD.com strengthrunning to see all the details they've put together for you. Okay, now it's time for our announcement. Last year, I was contacted by a video production company here in the greater Denver area, and they create feature-length instruction videos for all kinds of different sports, things like golf, things like sprinting and discus, and they asked me to put together a program for runners for beginner to intermediate runners or those who really just want a more comprehensive look at how to train effectively. And we have been working over the last year together to put together a video course that accomplishes just that. And I've actually been just completely blown away by the production quality and the professionalism of this team. We spent three different days filming both in studio out in the mountains and on the trails, and then at the track with a professional runner to give you an absolutely beautiful video course on so many different topics. And it's almost ready, and it's gonna be for sale very soon. Uh, I'm gonna be putting up some sample videos on the Strength Running blog and on my Instagram account, so you can always check there to see if I've posted them yet. But I'm really excited for this. Uh, I was being filmed with a camera that cost $50,000. You know, I felt like I was in a movie. And, you know, some of the footage that they were able to get with the quality of the cameras and the drones that they had is just absolutely stunning. And I think the content within the program is really going to help you gain a full understanding of not just my coaching and training philosophy, but on how to structure your running in such a way to prevent injuries and to maximize your potential. So I just wanted to give you a quick announcement talking more about this course and that you should be looking for it really soon. I'm super excited about it, uh, and, I, and I think you're really going to like the, the production quality of it and just the, the incredible, stunning nature of the video that we were able to capture. I'm really looking forward to talking more about this course and posting some excerpts of it on the blog and on my social media channels. So stay tuned and we'll be in touch very soon.